Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. What is the church? The church is the people of God, powered by the Spirit of God, guided by the Word of God, working for the glory of God. This is the church. The church is not just a place. The church is the people. The church is not just a monument. It's a movement. The church is not just a building. It's a body. The church is not just an accessory. It's a necessity. This is the church. The Bible says the church is the hope of the world, the salt of the earth, and the city on a hill. The church is the family of God, the body of Christ, and light in the darkness. The church is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. The church is where all kinds of people, from all kinds of places, come together to forsake their sins and to worship their Savior. Where chains are broken, and broken hearts are put back together. Where prodigals come home and captives are set free. This is the church, where blind eyes are opened and good news is preached, where the low are lifted up and the proud are brought low, where the lost are found and the helpless find help, where brothers and sisters can find love and acceptance from each other and from their Father in heaven. This is the church, where the disciples of Jesus are built up in their most holy faith. The church is where the gospel is. The church is where grace is. The church is where God is. The church is you. The church is me. The church is all of us. This is the church. church. Welcome to church. Are you glad you're here this morning? Yeah. Before we launch into this, I just want to uh, acknowledge a couple things that are happening in the room from time to time. And I want to encourage it. There there are some uh, folks who, um, when you hear about being set free from the gospel or from old life by the gospel, when you hear about Um, folks that were captives that are no longer captives, they're sitting next to other people who may not know their story, you you have a desire to uh, rejoice, to clap, and to shout out. Amen? Amen. I want to encourage that, all right? We shout out for all kinds of things. Uh, I don't want to hamper that while you're here. Um, Can we get an amen there? Here's one of the things. Yeah, go ahead. You can clap for that. I'm going to encourage that right now. Yeah. Here's why I want us to constantly be rejoicing and to be excited when somebody next to you hears a truth from scripture that impacts their heart. Uh, It is not out of control. We still have a church. The goal in scripture is that we wouldn't worship in a way that would get in the way of somebody else's worship. We wouldn't worship to be seen. We would worship to make God seen. Amen? But sometimes a shout is required. Okay? 
Clapping is appropriate. And uh, I, I know there's, there we, we ebb and flow with uh, whatever's going on in our culture and hesitations or concerns. Uh, we serve an amazing God who, uh, at times, you ought to shout out your praise. There's other t- yes. <laughs> and at other times, there will be solemn tears. Both are appropriate. Um, but if you are unmoved by God, then we're going to come back to the gospel. All right? Is that okay to say? All right, we're in a series here called Ancient Wells, New Season. Um, and, and I'm always conflicted when we get ready to, to unpack this because there's a dual focus, and I've said this, with, with a pastor, you have to make sure that he knows where his trail is because there's lots of rabbits, all right, in this field. And we could get off onto all kinds of tangents, and that's not what I desire for you. I want to make sure that we have a clear focus and a clear message it is hard to have a series where you have a twofold message to inform you of some things we believe God has called us to be a part of at the church, but also to keep our eyes on Jesus, who's the reason that anything is happening here at all. That's our twofold for, uh, focus. Ancient Wells is a reminder of our mandate. Why is it that we gather as a church? What is our focus when we get together? Why do you not just do this from home? It's a reminder also, do you know that God is on the move all around the world, not just at Salem Heights? So we're gathering together here, we're praising God, and that is happening all around. Right now, today, uh, well, not in a literal 24, they're way ahead of us now, but in Latvia, all right, Tim's already preached a message, they've launched into uh, their time uh, with students over there, sharing the gospel with Latvians. Super close to a Russian border, which is comforting to all of you parents, I know. As you look at what is happening in the world, we still have people that are out there, and they're worshiping the Lord over there. Do you know that? God is still God there, and he is God here. But he's asked us to do a particular assignment in the place where we dwell. That's what we're focusing on. It's a call to participate in a a project. Last week, and I would encourage you if you want, uh, there's ways to get a hold of those notes and highlight that. We talked about the vision at the end of the message. I'm just going to do a little bumper at the beginning here on that vision, and then we're going to get into John chapter 7. But last week, we highlighted for you the project that we believe that we're asked to uh, accomplish here at Salem Heights, an auditorium balcony. There's pictures out in the hallway as you come in. Uh, There will be more of those in the weeks to come. but the, the balcony project on the inside is going to allow for more people to be able to come into this auditorium. Uh, it'll be right up behind your heads. Uh, you can see those pictures there. You can get them online, uh, an artist's rendition of that. Increase the number of seats in the auditorium. A new ministry center that would be out at the bridge to nowhere, uh, where all of our kids underneath would be able to to gather and up top a training center. Uh, we really believe that the balcony will um, make the footprint as large as we can sustain on our property. And so our intention is to begin resourcing other ministries in our area however we can so that um, God would be magnified there just as well as he would be here. We wanna try to give away as much of those resources as possible. And it'll be a, a resource center where we can do training and do what our, our role would be to invest in the community in areas of Uh, counseling in most excellent way and being able to encourage their ministry staff. Updates and renovations, 
We talked about some of those things. And the cost. Now, there was an audible gasp in the room last week. If you weren't here last week, all right? Some of you were gasping because you thought it was so low. There was one of you. (laughs) We had a number. And uh, I I wanted you to make sure that you heard last week. We're not concerned about the number because we we still see the Lord at work helping with adjusting that. But 6.8 million is what it looks like it would cost right now for everything to be accomplished. And we had some good questions about our role as a church. We've always been a debt-free church. We're asking the Lord to provide through his people in such a way that with a short-term loan or whatever it would be, uh, that we'd be able to get that entire thing built. And we're going to provide opportunities for you to come and sit down in this auditorium with our elders, have a Q&A stuff in the fall. We want you right now in this season to begin to wrap your mind around not, not just the project, but Lord, what is my part in the project financially and physically? How will I participate? This is where we as a church uh, get tested on that idea of community. Are we a community? Are we a family? Are we on mission together? Are we called uh, to do a certain project in a certain season? Now, there's always, uh, when you do a building project, there's always a concern you can talk too long, uh, too much about it. We did a couple weeks in the spring, only two weeks right now in the summer, and we're just going to hit it a couple times in the fall. We are a church that's not embarrassed to talk about money, but we don't pass a plate because we believe that the Spirit of God moves God's people to give. That's between them and the Lord, and you ought to do it joyously, but that's between you and him. We don't sit and watch. This is between you and the Lord, but it also is important for us to have those discussions. I was reminded of a quote by Mark Twain, who did not love going to church. He felt like it was a tax on good people. This is what he said, we're all creatures of impulse. It's a great mistake to get everybody ready to give money and then not pass the hat, he said. Some years ago in Hartford, we all went to church on a hot sweltering night to hear the annual report of Mr. Howley, a city missionary who went around finding people who needed help and didn't want to ask for it. He told of the life in the cellars where poverty resided. He gave instances of the heroism and devotion of the poor. The poor are always good to each other, he said. When a man with millions gives, we make a great deal of noise. It's noise in the wrong place, for it's the widow's might that count. He's recounting what this man told him. Well, Howley worked me up into a great state. I couldn't wait for him to get through. I had $400 in my pocket, and I wanted to give that and borrow more to give. You could see the greenbacks in everybody's eye, but he didn't pass the plate. It grew hotter. We grew sleepier. My enthusiasm went down, 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 $100 at a time. Till finally when the plate came round, I stole 10 cents out of it. (laughs) You see, neglect like that might lead to crime. There's a time to talk about it and there's a time for action. This is what we're asking you to consider. Between you and the Lord, what would he have you do? What would he have you focus on? In this series, in this season, we're asking the church, believers, to invest in the building that we call home. This will allow others to draw near drink deep, and share the overflow. In this season, between now and the fall, would you just pray as a family, pray as an individual, pray as a small group or with some friends? Lord, what would my part be? With that in your mind, I want to remind us of who it is uh, that we're supposed to be worshiping, what it is that he has called us to. Let's take a look at John chapter 7. John chapter 7 Verses 37 through 39. 
Let's stand together as we just read this moment. Jesus has come to what is called the Festival of the Booths. He is there. Uh, his family has been watching to see whether or not he would actually go up. There is a lot of angst about Jesus as well as joy, but a lot of angst in this moment in John chapter 7. Jesus goes up to this festival, he's in the group, and it's at the very end of it, and this is what scripture says. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, he will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the spirit for the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Do you believe there's something in there for us this morning? You may be seated. Father, as we take a look at this passage, I pray that you would just open our eyes and help us to be reminded of the value of the expectation of Scripture, uh, the beauty of Jesus, and the promises that he made that have been fulfilled. Father, uh, Jesus not only made promises that are fulfilled, but he made promises that are yet to be fulfilled, and I just pray you would fill us with delight as we anticipate him doing it all. I pray that you would remind us of the glory of Christ and help us to see it in this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to understand there's something intriguing that is happening at uh, this moment in John chapter 7. All of the people have been gathered for a feast, and a feast was something that was commanded of God's people. They were supposed to gather up multiple times throughout the year, uh, and in their regular calendared year, they had festivals, feasts, where they were supposed to not just get together and celebrate. Uh, if you get together at a Christmas event uh, now, it is possible that you could go to a Christmas event where Jesus is not mentioned. Do you know that? It's culturally on our calendar to have Christmas. It may not be that Jesus is actually honored. In this cultural calendar, it was also a worship calendar. There were things that were prescribed so that the community would be reminded of the God that they worshiped. And they were called to be together for the Feast of Booze, and there was a particular reason for this feast. It was a reminder of their time in the wilderness, a time when they had no homes, there was a place that had been prepared for them. They had rejected God's best and were out in the wilderness. And during that time, they always had shelter over their head. During that time, God provided the clothing that was on their back. It never wore out. Their shoes never wore out. And they were celebrating God's provision. Even though they were rebellious, God was still providing for them. Amen? And so they were commanded to be together. The first thing I want you to notice uh, in this passage, this command to bring them together allowed them in this moment to be able to see Jesus. Community is a gift and a command in scripture. These gatherings, we saw that when we read the book of Hebrews, don't forsake the gathering together of believers as is the habit of some, right? Be gathered together. Make sure that you are continually gathering together in small groups and in large to remind each other of the God that you worship, to remind yourself of Jesus. Community is a gift and, and a command. We're to draw near. As they would gather together, 
there was something that would happen uh, for this particular feast. They would sing those songs of ascents. You can find those. Uh, as you just start reading through the Psalms, you'll notice a heading that's in there, these Psalms of Ascent, and there's 15 different Psalms. There were 15 steps also that would go up into the, uh, the inner parts of the, the temple. And during this feast in particular, there was a process that they would go through where they would sing their way together all the way up into this gathering. They would gather in booths all around the outskirts of Jerusalem, and there was joy whenever they were together. But I want you to imagine for a moment that just on your own, you've had a season in the wilderness. This is a picture of when God provided in the wilderness, but imagine that you feel deserted. You feel far from God. You feel like you have been separated in some way. And the command is, you need to get together every single year. You are expected to come and do this. And you start on the outskirts, and you're dragging your feet, and you got some boughs with you, you know, they were supposed to bring... um, like cedars and some of these other uh, fragrant branches that they would put into booths and they would build for themselves and live out there to be reminded. But all the sweet smelling aromas you gathered with other people. If you've ever smelled cedar trees that have just been clipped, if you've been at Christmas time clipping the, the Christmas tree and you can smell the aroma, the fragrance of it that fills up a house, imagine now a throng of people and they've gathered together and that sweet aroma as they're going, a reminder of God's provision. You've been feeling alone and separated Your life is dry and dusty, not just physically, but spiritually. And you begin to see this group of people and they're saying, come on, come with us, travel on this way. And you hit certain waypoints and you begin to sing songs and you're with these people that are filled with joy. Have you ever jumped in with a group of people when you were discouraged or overwhelmed and all of a sudden the joy from that group just kind of infused into your life? Have you ever been blessed by people who were happy when you were not? This command to be gathered together in community is a command, even when you don't feel like you want to be with others, scripture says, he who separates himself seeks his own desire and will wrangle against all sound wisdom. If you're drawn to be a part, God says, get in here. And one of your brothers and sisters in Christ is going to help you get your head on right. The joy of the throng, they might not even say anything. Just being in that moment of worship is going to change your attitude. But there are times where we need the neighbor sitting next to us to put our seatbelt on for us. Don't you know that? You don't probably remember this as a kid. In fact, when I grew up, I don't know that they had seatbelts for car seats for kids. (laughs) They just stuck you in the back window, right? And you drove around and uh, they hoped you lived. (laughs) We have improved. Concern makes you concerned for the safety of the person next to you. Community forces you to be known. One pastor writing about community in general and marriage in particular as a little picture of this said this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness. It fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. Where do you experience the kind of love that sees past who you are? You have to be in community with somebody else, with other people. 
we're supposed to draw near. Jesus is making an invitation at the end of this. He stands up and he says to the throng that is responding to this, God knew that this moment would happen and the throng is all gathered together, but God is literally there in their midst, physically shouting out, draw near to me. So it's not just a gift and a command. Um, There's also another thing that we see here and that is this cry that Jesus makes. It says, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing from deep within him. Now we saw this same type of statement with the woman at the well in John chapter four. We saw him begin to speak to somebody who was outside of the throng. He wouldn't be able to come up to Jerusalem in the same way with all of these people. But it's the same message. In fact, what is happening at this festival, they're actually singing Isaiah chapter 12 as part of what they would do. And on the great final day of the feast, there was a moment where they would remember that they were in the wilderness because of their own bad decisions. God had protected them throughout the entire time that they were there. But there were moments where they would get full of themselves, thinking that manna was something they had produced or whatever uh, was, was going on was a product of their industry. And thirstiness would enter the camp. There, there would be no water and complaining would happen. Have you ever been, I don't know if you guys have ever uh, seen this happen. Have you ever been in a place where uh, there's a culture that's given over to whining? Yeah? Just pause and think about that. Scratch your chin for a moment. Whining starts happening and it becomes incessant. In fact, it has its own momentum, doesn't it? And in the midst of whining, in the midst of complaining, God would bring them an answer. They were complaining about their thirstiness. And as that thirst had filled up the camp, their mouths were dry. God, in two different occasions, had water come from a rock. At the end of this feast, they would celebrate the water coming from a rock. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that in that experience, uh, there were all these experiences that were meant to graft them to the Lord, but also cause them to listen to their leaders. Um, at the very end of that, it says all of them drank the same spiritual food. First uh, Corinthians 10.4 says all of them drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Christ is actually shouting out something and he says, you don't understand this. He said, but when that water is coming from the rock, the one that was actually causing the water to come from a rock, that was me. And I satisfied your physical thirst in that picture that was in the desert. He says, but right now I want to satisfy that thirst that it seems like nothing in your culture is going to be able to satisfy. You have a spiritual thirst. There is a dryness that is there. Come to me and you'll have that thirst taken care of. Each day in this ceremony, each day for the seven days, right before this great high day where Jesus announces himself as the very water of life. Each day they would draw water, they would have a celebration, but on that final one, they would dance and they would sing. It's really intriguing, Uh, a group of uh, young men in Israel who have come to faith in Christ. Uh, They have a website called One for Israel, and they highlight uh, some of these teachings that have been in their culture for thousands of years. And they said that the celebration that happens on that day, they said, if you haven't seen the celebration that happens at the end of the Feast of Booths, they said, you haven't seen celebrating in your life. The dancing and the singing, the priests with all of their musical instruments on the 15 steps going up to the temple. He said the rejoicing that it is around, there is joy that fills 
these people. They would draw water and Jesus is saying, I'm that water. I am the living water, the thing that satisfies you. Now there's a promise in here. Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now this isn't just for that moment. We hear that uh, something that is going to happen after his death, burial, and resurrection, he is actually speaking past this moment to every single generation of believer. If you come to Jesus, if you draw near, you will have streams of water flowing out. You will be revived. Here's the question I have for you this morning. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt so transformed by your relationship with Jesus Christ that it has washed out all of the mess, all of the guilt is gone, you feel the forgiveness just invade? There's a peace that you have and a connection with people next to you that you should not have. There's a forgiveness and a grace that fills your relationships. It begins to flood your soul. It changes the way that you talk. It changes the way that you do business, the way that you interact with other people. Have you ever had that experience where a transformation comes in and you're no longer an angry driver? All right? You're no longer irritated at the checkout stands. You're no longer bothered that Amazon took 48 rather than 24 hours to deliver the package. (laughs) You're clean. You're settled. You're filled with grace. If you haven't felt that way, there's no program. I don't have multiple steps for you. It just says this. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. The problem is one-dimensional. If you don't have that experience... Drop what you're focused on and get next to Jesus. Amen? That's the whole point. That's it. You're right. That's the whole point of the message. Get next to Jesus. It's no mystery. He says, you come to me and streams of living water will flow from deep within him. Now, as I say this, he says this about the spirit who those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the spirit for the spirit had not yet been given. There's a mystery in this text. We don't understand how it was that the spirit uh, related in the Old Testament to the new uh, other than this. When Jesus Christ died, was buried and rose again on the third day, the spirit of God moves from a place in the temple to a person. He begins to move into each one of us. If you're saved, if you've given your life to Christ, the spirit of God has taken up residence in you. Amen? You have access to this very truth today. Forgiveness and peace are free. Drink deep. But the final thing I want you to see here is in Christ you have more than enough. You see, what they were celebrating at that moment was not just that they had their thirst taken care of, but imagine now that you're a million strong and there's water coming from a rock. And the the thinking in your mind has to be, well, the first guys that are really close to that, that's got to be really sweet, right? But how much water is enough for a million people? The celebration that they have and the rejoicing that they have was not only that there was water that was available to quench their thirst, but every single person had more than enough to be able to drink, to give to their neighbors, to their children, to anybody that had accompanied them. Their, all of their livestock were watered to, to where they did not need water. They weren't driven by their thirst any longer. Every single living being in that area was filled Their thirst was quenched. How amazing is that? Filled to overflowing. There is something that happens in us when we begin to get a little bit 
in need, and that is we just focus on making sure we're satiated. Have you ever felt that? You get hungry? I don't care if anybody else gets food, but I need something right now. But as soon as you get full, imagine in, in a world where people still ate cheeseburgers, okay? You're starving and you come along and there is not just one, but a thousand cheeseburgers and you and your friends are hungry. Now you can eat yours, but it's pretty easy for you to give sideways. This is the implication. I watched somebody, even this morning, who was trying to water from flowing water coming out of a hose without getting it on their church pants. Okay? Have you ever done that? Anytime that you have flowing water, it just gets all over the place. Here's what he's saying. The one who believes in me We'll have streams of living water flow within you. It's going to cleanse everything that's in you. It's going to satiate all of those desires. It's going to take care of it. The things of earth will grow strangely dim, but you will have more than enough for those that are around you to give them also of the same. Why don't you come and drink? Come near to Jesus. You'll be able to tell them, and you just can't help but get it all over the place. In Christ, you have more than enough, and we should share the overflow. That's one of the points that we're trying to make in this series. Now, a short while ago, we actually asked you um, what it was that you were hoping to experience at church. And some of you were saying, well, I wanted to be able to hear this story or be able to see these things that were happening. And about 10 years ago, we, we gave a phrase. We said, we need to stop listening for a story and start living the story right now. Have our people begin to live out what it was that they were called to do. We have folks right here in our auditorium that have been major supporters and who have helped uh, Hope Pregnancy Clinic in all of its different iterations through the years. They have helped people making choices for life. We have people here that are participating with the free clinic. They're getting ready to do a run uh, that helps support people that are in desperate need where medical uh, stuff is necessary and you are able to help them. There's a run that you can sign up for to participate with them. We have folks here that serve there. We have folks here that walk alongside people from the UGM. Are you thankful for the Union Gospel Mission? Yeah. Out of the overflow of what Christ has done in them, they're serving other people that need to know the truth of the gospel and need to know that somebody loves them. We have Be Bold Street Ministry that is birthed out of this place, but it was the Spirit of God moving in individuals who said, I just need to go and love these people. Most excellent way, I need to go love these folks that are caught up in addiction. But I just want to give you one illustration with just a little more depth. We prayed a while ago, Lord, would you raise up somebody that would go into the mission field, that would share the gospel from our church? And we had a young couple that right away had responded not only to the gospel in their own life while they were at, co at college, but they were called into East Asia. And now they're doing a different role, uh, working with crew. Patrick and Becky, uh, some of you saw on the video, Salem Heights Today, that they're going to be doing a little uh, informational time in 201 on Wednesday this week. But here's the question I would have you consider. How do you share the overflow, the good news of Jesus Christ in a culture where you can't read? You can't read at all. You can't read the Bible. You can't have a pamphlet handed to you. You can't uh, walk through three points in a poem with a group of people. They don't think in those terms. A culture where all they have is their language and they tend to share information through stories. How do you share the gospel with them? Well, this young couple is now working with uh, something called Jesus Films 
it, it, it actually is, is all kinds of films used to share the gospel, but one of their major projects uh, is based on an old film that many of you right now remember, but you probably didn't watch this last Friday night. It's an older film, and what they do is they go in, and it's the story of Jesus told from the book of Luke, and they, with big mattresses all around them, record somebody speaking lines from that movie in a closer, in their language, so that they see the story on the screen, but they hear the words as if it's coming out of their culture, and they respond to the gospel. And I just want to show you a clip of some people who did this in, in a place where they don't have anything written in their language, but they want to hear the story of Jesus, and they see it for the first time. I want you to see their responses. By the way, two kids from our church are helping drive this project forward. Watch this. By the number of people that were present, probably we would guesstimate about 4,500 people came to the premiere. Certainly much more than I had ever anticipated. They were so focused, they hardly moved. Their eyes were just glued to the screen. I thought, you know, God is really speaking to them. They're not watching a movie. They're having an experience with Jesus Christ. He's speaking to their hearts, and they're responding. They were just moved. You could hear them groaning when things would happen. I just remember seeing some of the wailing and the children just sobbing and crying. And it just took my breath away. Just realizing what Jesus, the pain and the suffering that he did for us. Was it just a little too much to bear? And to see the response was truly unbelievable. To see that they, they wasted no time initially. Once the first gentleman stepped out, it's as though they all came. What is more of a blessing than seeing people come to the Lord? I cannot think of anything better. You can hear more about their work and what God has called them to on Wednesday, but this is the thing I want to ask you. When was the last time the truth of the gospel hit you that deep? That you responded like they did, where they just can't believe that this would actually happen and that he would actually do that for you. We're wrapping up our service this morning with a time to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, if you don't have one of these, just raise your hands and uh, the men will make sure that they come and they give you those elements. But this is what we're actually doing in these moments. We're actually celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This is the only time at church that it really is appropriate for us to be able to ask, what did it cost? It cost Jesus his life so that we could have a relationship with him. His death, burial, and resurrection is the reason that we celebrate today. Amen? Amen. What we do in this moment, and... Uh, 
that this is an important one. As we pause and we reflect, Lord, is there anything between me and you? Is there anything that's getting in the way of my joy? Is there anything that is robbing me of um, a walk with you that would bring glory? And we pause and we reflect on that and then we take these elements. Um, These are symbols. They don't save you, but this is a, a holy moment where you actually get a chance to reflect and consider what Jesus Christ did. And it says that we reflect on his death, burial, and resurrection, something that happened in the past what that has done to transform your life, something that's happening right now, and we anticipate his soon return. He still has promises that he will fulfill, amen? And we center ourselves and we remind ourselves what is most important, Christ and Christ alone. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray. Uh, um, Dave and the team are gonna come and lead us just as we reflect, um, and we're gonna be ready to take Uh, the Lord's Supper, but this is an opportunity for us to be reminded in this series that we're focusing on some other things that we could do. Jesus is the centerpiece. He's the most important. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us right now. Um, When we see the response of those kids, actual footage from the first time that they heard the story and the truth about Christ, the response that jumps out of them they want to give their lives to Christ. Father, we not only can remember moments where we felt exactly that way, and we ask that you would fill us again with that sense of urgency, with passion, with a hunger to see Christ be put in first place. Father, we pray right now, if there's anything between us and you, that you would remove it that you would cause the things of earth to come strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. But we pray, Father, that you would help us to recognize the sin that keeps pulling us away. And right now in moments like this, ask for forgiveness. Your word promises the moment that we do that, we're, we're wiped clean. Our standing with you is always secure, but it is possible for us to muddy the water in that relationship. Father, help us to experience forgiveness, peace, as we reflect on what Christ did. And we pray that you'd help us to do this in Jesus' name, amen.